0: Welcome to Nightlight, everyone. I'm Barb DeLong, your host, and tonight I have uh, the most, the greatest fortune to have two amazing, talented, and insightful people with me, Barry Eaton and Anne Morjanov. Co-authored an opus chronicling Barry's journey through a major illness and recovery. It's touching, inspirational, and enlightening, especially since they look at the entire process from three different perspectives. The book is called The Joy of Living, Postponing the Afterlife. And before I bring them on, I want to give you a bit of information on both of them. Barry has wide international experience in all areas of the media and entertainment industries. He's highly experienced in radio and TV presenter, having spent many years in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and various commercial radio and TV stations. His profile embraces news and sports anchoring, Lifestyle shows, current affairs, talk back radio, and in what feels like an earlier incarnation, um, was even a DJ. As a writer, he has scripted and narrated many documentary films and corporate presentations and written numerous feature stories for magazines and newspapers on everything from astrology to travel. And Morjan, on top of being his partner and in and crime and, and companion, um, has had uh, a 15-year career in Sydney's Central Bank, beginning in communication and moving to the Human Resources Department. She developed a passion for number symbolism, using it to reassure many people of their life conditions and conducting workshops on the power of numbers in everyday life. She's been a dressmaker for a fashion boutique and now works in the education arena in a casual administrative role. I wish my administrators had been casual. Welcome, welcome to the show, both of you.
1: <laughs> Lovely, thanks a lot, Barbara. Yeah,
0: that sounds
2: great. Thanks. It sounds like you have summed us up very well.
0: Yeah, well, it, it was not hard. You had good bios. Um, <laughs> I, I think that your book is it, it's it's a must read for for everybody, whether or not they have been through a major illness like cancer because it, it gives an amazing, honest, in many cases, raw presentation of what happens when one gets a diagnosis and goes through this process. And I, I think that you have both you have both written it in such a way that not only the person who has the illness you know, their side is shown, but the caretaker as well, and as well your son, which which is an added plus to the whole process. Um, everybody has a, a fear of a major illness, um, whether they admit it or not. So were you shocked, Barry, when you got a diagnosis of like this?
1: Oh, totally, Byron. I mean, it's the last thing you expect. And- um, we'd actually been to a funeral, would you believe, of a, a close family member. And I came back because I wasn't living in Sydney at the time. Uh, I moved up north for a little while, came back to Anne's place to recover after the funeral because it was a really, really, really hot day. It was <laughs> well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And all of a sudden, I had this choking sensation. I knew it wasn't emotion because um, it felt like I had something stuck in my throat. And that stayed for a while. I just couldn't get rid of it. So finally, I ended up going to the doctor. As you know, most males will go to the doctor only when they really have to. Mm-hmm. So I finally got there, and um, I was I was expecting that they would reach down my throat and pull out something with a long pronged instrument, you know. But uh, unfortunately, it turned out that I had a um, a tumor in my throat. So that was the beginning of my journey when I found out, much to my horror, that I did have cancer. It turned out to be throat cancer and also of the thyroid. And, you know, that comes out of the blue. You do not expect to get something like that. It's not as if you sort of have any great lead-in or any symptoms. It just happens in many cases.
0: Oh, uh, so, yeah. It, it, it is. I, I, my, my late husband was coughing so much that I said, you're going to cough up a lung if you don't get to the doctor. And he finally did go to the doctor too late, unfortunately, and he had cancer of both lungs. So
1: oh, yeah, that's awful, isn't it?
0: It, it, it is, and, and, you know, unless – and yet you – I'm sure that you, you went through all of the different emotions there are, you know, denial and anger and all of this stuff, but you approached this in, in such an amazing way. I mean, I buy that you did it this way, but I'm not sure I would have had the courage to have been quite as analytical as you were. And, and you know, many people say things like, if I was, if I had cancer, I would do this, or if I had cancer, I would do that. But, you know, you kind of had your own mind made up what would happen if you were ever diagnosed with cancer, and did you follow through with that?
1: Well, I did, because over the last or quite a few years now, I have my own radio program on radiooutthere.com, which is a mind-body-spirit program, and a lot of alternative health practices. And I've moved right away from any kind of pharmaceutical drug medicine as far as I possibly can. And I've always gone for the natural approach in the last 20 years or so. So when you're faced with this, and immediately your doctor says, okay, well, there's only two alternatives here, uh, chemotherapy or radiotherapy. Well, of course, I just curled up inside in horror because there was no way on God's earth that I was ever going to have chemotherapy. And I went away to have a think about all of this. Now, Now, my family, knowing my ideas and thoughts and feelings about pharmaceutical medicine, knew that I was not going to take chemotherapy for a start, but they were all thinking, oh, God, here he goes. He'll be off in a, up in the mountains in a cave growing a long beard, uh, eating raw vegetables, and we'll probably have to come and bring him back in a wheelbarrow or something. So um, they all got a, a, a bit of a shock after I went to a lot of deliberation because I, I went into not only my own intuitive side but also connected with my team in spirit, and I, I work a lot with, with spirit because I'm in recent years I've, I've not only been working on radio and television, but I, I studied astrology and then uh, opened up in my whole psychic and medium areas about 28 years ago. So I've been working in that area at the same time, and I've written a couple of books on the afterlife. So I've got a lot of contacts on the other side. And uh, I went in to get some spiritual advice on all this because I thought, well, what do I do here? My, my deep inner feeling is no, I don't necessarily have to go to a cave, but I don't also particularly want to find myself uh, in a hospital situation being blasted with some kind of outside force. So I went into a lot of deep meditation and consultation with my friends and, and guides and, and all sorts of people on the other side who have helped me in, in my writing my books and they were there for me once again. And I was given this assurance that I would be looked after. And I was basically guided to not just walk away from any kind of mainstream medicine, but to embrace both the holistic and the mainstream side of things. And then eventually I was also given the information, we want you to write a book about it. So here's the book. (laughs) Uh, Because when I rationalized it afterwards, Barbara, I realized that just by writing a book about natural therapies and everything like that, that's going to be probably ignored by the vast majority of the population. But if you can talk about combining holistic and also mainstream medicine, it's going to have a greater long-term impact because I believe that's the way we should be going anyway, be combining all the wonderful aspects rather than say this is right or that's right. There's no black and white. It's it's working on whatever combination we can so I realized that my spiritual team wanted me to get that word out as much as possible. So that was the decision that I had to make. So after long bouts of meditation and uh, inner reflection and, and heart-rending, um, heart-beating, mind-thumping sort of uh, exercises, I came to the conclusion, albeit reluctantly, that I would embrace the, the mainstream side of it as well. So that's the sort of short story of it there's a lot more as you know you've read the book i know Uh,
0: yes i have and and i i couldn't agree with you more i think that that you know doctors wouldn't be out there if we weren't meant to use them to a certain degree yeah but but, you know it's, it's because there are certain things that that a metaphysical or a spiritual modality can't provide you with and you know i have to admit that that Lately, I have seen their techniques being able to um, aim in more finely than, you know, than frying you to a crisp. And, and <laughs>
1: that's, that's a good analogy.
0: So, yeah, I had an aunt who got fried to a crisp. And, you know, she didn't die from the cancer. She died from being fried. Um, yeah. So... So there were other modalities you used and and you know I let's let's just kind of tick some of them off because some of them are rather fascinating and I I would like you to describe a little bit more.
1: Sure.
0: I mean you did meditation.
1: Oh yeah, well I've been meditating on and off. I ran a meditation group for 10 years. Um so been very much involved in meditation for quite a long time. So that's 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 a given. I mean you can do that in any aspect of your life, whether you're having life-threatening illnesses or, or whether you're just wanting to help allay the stress in your life mm-hmm. or find out, go a little on the the inner journey to come to terms with yourself, meditation or quiet time, sometimes it's better known as. You don't have to sit in a corner and go, oh, and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, you know, Just having the quiet time, closing the mind down and just allowing your thoughts to calm down and messages to come from your guidance because there's inner guidance and there's spiritual guidance and it's all there, but we just have our minds tumbling around too much to even listen to it. So wow. that was that was an integral but a very uh, important part but an, uh, an expected part on my side that uh, I would be doing meditation. Yeah, that, that's just step one.
0: Okay, and what were some of the other things you incorporated?
1: Uh, I was given the assurance by the spirit team that, there would be all sorts of support given to me and that I just had to trust. And, of course, this is the hard thing at the beginning. When you are going through this fear, and there is a lot of fear, because automatically when the word cancer comes into the conversation and it's you involved in it, you immediately think, Oh, my God, how many people die of cancer? How many people survive cancer? Mm -hmm. There's a lot less people survive the whole thing than actually go through it. So that fear naturally comes. So the first thing you have to do is, is conquer that fear, get on top of it. But I've, I've come up with a, a wonderful um, remedy for that one. And if you have a look at uh, the word fear, F-E-A-R, then I look at that as false evidence appearing real. And so many of our fears are just that. They're false. Because can you remember what you were fearing six months, two years ago? Maybe not even last week, because once you get through it, it's a, it's a normal thing. We all get afraid of something. We all have fear. But once we can get through that, then we can just move on with life. So that was something that I had to conquer to start off with. So my spirit team assured me that my fears were groundless, that I would be given all the support that I need. I didn't have to worry about what that support was, because these people would automatically come into my life. All I had to do was trust But I put my trust out there in the universe and also in the support team that I knew were going to come to me. So the first thing that actually happened was that I'd been working with um, the energies of the John of God, Casa, both in New Zealand and then went to Brazil in 2008. Uh, Anne and I were in New Zealand together, but I went on my own to Brazil and I come back to do a little bit of work. It's one of the reasons I moved north. And I was up there working at the, the local casa in the northern rivers of New South Wales, the state of New South Wales. And we have a crystal bed up there. Now, a crystal bed was, I guess, invent, well, not invented because it was spiritual download to John of God. Oh. John of God is this wonderful medium who's in South America. If anybody wants to find out more about it, just Google com. Anyway, he's a, he's a medium who channels through the spirits of 33 different doctors, not all at the same time, of course, that would be a bit confusing, but one by one. (laughs) And and they come in and they help and they advise and they do spiritual and even physical operations, but they they have the guidance. So we started our own casa up north, and I was one of the founding members of it, and we had a crystal bed. Now, the crystal bed is you you just lie on like a, a normal bed. It can be a massage table. It can be just, in my case, Uh, I was just using a bed that I had in my downstairs um, area of the house and it's set up with seven different colored crystals and each one corresponds to a chakra. So we start off with the red and we end up with the white for the seventh chakra. And each one of these then, when you set the bed up, you're able to adjust these little crystal outlets so that they shine directly onto the chakra center in your body. And this is just the most amazing thing. It's a healing bed, just called the crystal bed. And once again, you can read all about this and find out a lot more detail just by going into johnofgod.com. So we had the crystal bed there, and for some incredible reason, they, uh, they had power problems, and they couldn't use the bed for quite some time. So they said, oh, well, would you like to have it while you're having the treatment? So I said, oh, that's a good idea. And... As soon as I thought about it afterwards, I thought, thank you very much. I thank my spiritual team because things like that just don't happen uh, in a random circumstance. I knew that this was part of the support that I was being given by my guides and helpers on the other side because I'd asked for it and I'd put out for it. And they said, trust and we'll be there. And they were. So I had the crystal bed and I was able to set it up at my place so that I was able to prepare myself before All my therapy started. And then as I went through seven long weeks of radiotherapy, I was able to come back each weekend and restore my energies and help balance all my energies on the crystal bed. So that was the very first one that came up. And that was just the beginning. And I knew there was going to be more, but that was a really important one because it helped prepare me and it helped sustain me all the way through my treatments.
0: I know, and they weren't pleasant. I mean, I, I know at first they seemed to be, but they they did get progressively more intense. And, and uh, you seem to have, you chronicled this whole experience so brilliantly. Were you actually keeping notes as you went?
1: Yeah. Anne, um, who you heard earlier,
0: mm-hmm.
1: my partner, was able to come up in the... Um, just after the first week or so of my treatments. But she was a, she's, uh, suggested from the word go that because I've worked in radio and television, you know, for most of my life, why don't you record it? And I thought, now, there's a good idea. So I have an audio diary ah. because I was told that, you know, you'd get a sore throat. I was told that uh, there'd be all sorts of problems. Plus the fact when you're going through something like that, your focus goes inward. There's no doubt about that. And you, you tend to forget even some basic details of life. So when Anne suggested to me that uh, I record a little audio diary, it was perfect, absolutely. So that formed the basis of the book, The Joy of Living, that uh, we're able to write. No, so I was able to have all that information when I looked back on it afterwards and thought, oh, yeah, oh, I remember that now. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Well, you know, it, it's it's it's... An unusual experience, and I have found that that so many people who go through this kind of experience are so overwhelmed by everything that they aren't able to focus. And you seem to be able to focus well, and and I'm sure – I mean, the book is wonderfully written, and you you almost kind of – you're almost lighthearted through all of it, and yet I know that it had to be at times – unsettling and you you have dealt with it so beautifully you you I mean having cancer and having to go through these treatments and some of them um, especially when you had to wear that mask and stay still for 20 minutes um, you know some of the things you had to go through were were a challenge and yet you always found a spiritual way to aid you to get through the experience and and the, what you found were techniques and things that that most people could do if if given the chance to to be taught and learn them the focusing and the visualizing um so that so that you were able to go through your treatments and sort of regather yourself together so so that you you all along i know knew you were going to be healed
1: well that was part of the trust that my spiritual team said to have in them and in the whole process. I mean, they would not have said to me, we want you to come through this and write a book about it if they didn't think that I was going to get through the other side. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, it was going to yeah. be a very short book <laughs> or else I was going to dictate it from the afterlife. But, that's
0: been um, done. That's been done. Oh,
1: well, of course it has. <laughs> but I, I didn't. Put, well, that's why I called the, the subtitle of this book, The Joy of Living. It's subtitled, Postponing the Afterlife. Yes. Having written a book called The Afterlife. <laughs> But um the, the various other preparations that I was encouraged, and this is part of the support that I talked to you about before, that people came into my life. Uh, I was able to, for instance, you talked about the mask. Well, by the time I accepted the fact that I was going to have um, radiotherapy, I had to go and have this fitting for this great big mask that fits over the face and over the shoulders. And they bolt that mask down onto the sliding tray into the, uh, into the therapy machine that you go into. In my case, it was a, called a Tomo th- therapy machine. But you can't move because the Tomo beam that was put in is microtuned so that it comes into a very, very fine area. It's not going to impact your vocal cords, in my case, the vocal cords uh, or lymph nodes or anything like that. So, but if I moved, it could impact where that beam went to and I could have had my vocal cords fried. So it was very important that I kept that that mask on. Now, the thought of having a mask strapped onto your face, even though it, it was uh, it was like a, a foil mask that uh, you would uh, uh, wear if you were a fencer or something like that, um, so you actually see what's going on. And the, the mere thought of that is enough to make anybody think claustrophobically right from the word go. So, I thought, well, what am I going to do about this? So fortunately, I'd, I'd, um, I'd met, this is another little spiritual thing, isn't it amazing? She, this, this wonderful lady called Judith contacted me a couple of months before all of this and started. She said, I've never done this before in my life, but I, I just feel as if I need to contact you and let you know what I do. And she's a hypnotherapist uh-huh. and she specializes in trauma work specializes in that whole area, and she's developed this wonderful system now of helping soldiers and all these people get over their their post-traumatic disorder and and get on with life. So for me to come up there and say, hey, listen, I'm scared, witless about um, having a mask strapped on and lying on my back for 20-odd minutes because I have breathing problems sometimes when I'm lying on my back, this was a piece of cake for her. So she put me through this wonderful therapy, hypnotherapy, where... She took me down, deep, deep, deep down, and just gave me various uh, techniques. First of all, for coping with this, but also just took me right down so that all the fear was gone. The subconscious fear that I'd already had, deep, deep down, was able to be conquered. And I was on. She she took me down into a into a deep state. And when I came out, she said, "Oh, how long do you think you were uh, out for?" I said, "Oh, I don't know, fifteen, twenty minutes." No, you were lying on your back for an hour and a half. (laughs) An hour and a half for somebody who has breathing problems when they're lying on their back and also um, the the fear of of what I was going to go through. All of a sudden, it wasn't like a, a magic carpet ride or anything, but it was certainly a clearing, a clearing of the mind, a clearing of the subconscious, and a clearing of the path so that I was able to approach everything with confidence and that's that's the whole thing being confident in what's going on and not giving way once again to fear. so that was just another of the the support um team, the backup that I was given that spirit told me that I would be getting right from the get go.
0: That's amazing. I know that the first thing that I would have that would have happened to me is my nose would have itched.
1: Um, that's true it's true
0: it it itches in the dentist's office i can't imagine if they put something like that over my face however i am i am reasonably sure that that you know if you have to do something there's a part of you that knows you can do it and that's where that's where the consciousness kind of the, the 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 oh my god oh my god oh my god part of you gives way to the to the, to the the higher consciousness that says, oh, calm down.
1: <laughs> that's, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah. As I said, it's the fear process once again. But once you've got the confidence in yourself and also the, one of the most important things, Barbara, that I've found and I, when I look back on all of this is the fact that I had to take some kind of responsibility, not only for the whole therapy, but also for the cause. It wasn't something that was I breathed in when I went out for a ride on the on, you know surfboard or something one day. No way. This wasn't. This was something that I had co-created. So I had to start taking responsibility. Responsibility from the word go of how I co-created this, either consciously or subconsciously, mm-hmm. and also then taking responsibility for the kind of cure that i wanted most people will go into this sort of situation and say oh doctor doctor oh i don't know it's all up to you cure me heal me do something give me a tablet i know so many friends of mine will say oh I, I, just as long as i give me a box of tablets i don't care I'm not interested in doing anything else i think hang on no you've got to take some kind of responsibility yourself And I really, really want to get that word across to people that it's not a matter of just giving in. It's a matter of you being in charge in some way and contributing.
0: Yeah, And it doesn't necessarily have to be whether you smoked or were among smokers or whatever. Sometimes it has to do with how you feel about yourself.
1: Oh, very much so. Stress and all these sort of things happened. I mean, in in my case, um, I had what was called a squamous cell carcinoma in the throat. Uh, and also then i had um, cancer in my thyroid as well i was always a non-smoker although many for many years i used to mc a lot of live events big events big sporting events in huge ballrooms uh, all sponsored by a cigarette company back in those days when cigarette companies did that so here was me the one non-smoker with about 500 other guys in sporting instances puffing away you know it was uh, like operating in some kind of huge fog of smoke and uh, nowadays, I can't. If somebody started smoking 20 meters away, I've got to turn and, and get out of there. It makes me ill. So, you know, and, and I have been told spiritually that part of my trigger uh, was this uh, this secondhand smoke that I indulged in. Uh, All be uh, unknowing, but there are other things as well. It's a lifestyle thing, and you've got to accept the fact that your lifestyle, in some way, the decisions you've made. Contributes to all of these things. Oh yeah. Self responsibility.
0: Yeah, that's 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 the one part that a lot of people don't really even look at. It's it's sort of like, you know, how did I bring this on? Why did I bring this on? How do I get out of this? Yeah. And yeah. and it is it is really um it, it is an important part to understanding and to healing the whole the whole genre. Um I wanna ask Anne. Um, when when you got the news, did your heart stop? Mine did.
2: <laughs> oh, sure, did. Oh, yes, it was very confronting. Um, it, it's as Barry said, it's not something you plan to have in your life, and when it happens, change always happens at the most inconvenient times. You don't prepare for things like this. It's huge. It affects every part of your life. You know your working life, your family life, your recreational life. It's not something that you, um, well, in my case, I just didn't say, "Oh yeah, okay,
1: well, let's get on with it." And
2: I am quite a practical person.
1: Well, yeah, you know, she's a Torean, Barbara. She's a very down to earth.
0: Yeah. But you weren't living that close. You had a life in a whole other town. You were a distance away. I mean, this was for you to become a caregiver. Was was expecting more of you than usually is expected of, of the partner and the mate.
2: Well, that is very true. Um, yes, around about 800 kilometres away from each other different towns, different circumstances. I was in a suburban area of a capital city. Uh, Barry was 800 k's away in a country town. Totally different and he was there for his reasons and uh-huh. I stayed and remain in my area when he moved up because of my family, friends, and commitments, and also that I'd been not too um, not too far re- um, removed from the grieving of my father who'd passed away. So I needed my own support system when he decided to move north. However, when he had the diagnosis, I mean, and it was actually quite confronting when he came down for that funeral that he mentioned. Um, just doing his normal coughing and I had unfortunately been nagging him for a long time to say get that cough attended to because he (laughs) doesn't (laughs) doesn't work work, does it (laughs) no No, I was going to say disregard the nag you know although a a friend of mine who's a doctor said once well they should be grateful when you nag because it shows they care (laughs) (laughs) yes anyway so there was no gratitude and it was just okay so (laughs) nag 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 away she goes Anyway, when he was down there for that funeral, it was very confronting when he then coughed up some blood. And that was a real eye-opener. And that was when he then promised when he went home that he'd attend to that. So I was thinking, well, thank goodness after all this time, he's going to get it attended to. And it's, you know, it's the, trying to cough up something that wasn't there to cough up. It wasn't going to budge just by coughing. So it did need some attention, as we found out already.
0: Yeah, but when when you did when you did find that he was going to go through this whole process, you you really it must have been. Um, I can't imagine you left family, you left your dog, and your dog has to be one a great solace for you. I mean, oh, yeah. they, they don't talk back and they mind. I mean, oh. and they lick your toes. Um, oh,
2: <laughs> absolutely! You've got it in one. He was the most gorgeous Japanese Spitz. Yeah. White and fluffy, like a Samoyed. Not sure if you know the dog there, but I do. um, Very cuddly, very gorgeous. Big permanent smile on his face. He was just divine. Loved to cuddle him.
0: So you left your 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 sanctuary.
2: I left my home and my um, my dog. And did I have two cats then or not? I had two cats then as well. Um, so I left them in the very capable hands of an absolute gem of a friend, I have to say. She was just perfect, for the, right up for the job. Um, even when there was an absolutely amazing storm came through and unsettled a few things around the place, uh, my ex-husband came in and was very kindly supportive of her and the things that needed to be done to be fixed up. Um I had also been in the middle of getting some repairs done before Barry's diagnosis and they weren't completed at the time that I had to go up to join him. So it was all just chaotic. I had family that were changing locations. I had my grandson who was changing schools. So, yes, it I mean, these sort of things just don't happen at a convenient time. But then it depends on your background too. Are you just going to say to... The one that needs the help. Oh well, just get on with it. I'll come around when I'm able to. <laughs> no,
0: you were oh. you were actually there, um, yeah, and Ooh. and and you and, and it had to be um, unsettling because nobody know. I mean depending on what kind of cancer it is, nobody knows what the procedures are, what the expectations are, what you're going to have to go through in order to be supportive. I mean, there is not a handbook for this kind of a situation.
2: Um, that's probably why Barry got the guidance to be writing this, I think, because there wasn't a handbook. Every, excuse me, everybody knows somebody who's had cancer, and everyone struggles in their own particular way, to get through the journey of it. I mean, my my subtitle of the section that I wrote in the book was called A Companion's Journey mm-hmm. because it was that. I did have to go side by side with him along this path, and it wasn't at all easy. So with all the unfamiliar territory of it all, a lot of research, a lot of talking to people who'd been there, um, all of his medical visits, I mean, they were confronting And especially to Barry, before I got up there, he'd had a couple of um, visits with his son by his side. Yeah. Who also helped him to remember some of the things that the medical teams were talking about. And when I'm getting up there and talking to him about keeping this audio diary, partly that was because I didn't really understand his feedback to me. And I'm thinking, well, you must have been told such and such. And did you think to ask something about this, that and the other? (laughs) And it's like I wasn't getting... Full answers, and I'm thinking, okay, we're not really on a very illuminated path here. (laughs) So it was a struggle, and it was really great because he was so used to working with this little portable audio Mm -hmm. um, recorder that he just took it in with the permission, of course, with the various medical professionals that he consulted, and he was able to record those meetings and then. He could pay them back, he could um, revisit, he could tell me a summary of it or let me listen to them and in the end that was the basis for writing this book which hopefully will be a little bit of guidance to those who are going or may go through this circumstance, either personally or friends of friends or relatives and that's the feedback that we're getting from this is that people are buying it for those who've been diagnosed Uh or who are suffering and it's you know people's copies are getting lent around from person to person it is a little bit of a reference and it's a little bit of inspiration for them well, that's our feedback anyway the,
0: the other part of of caring for someone who is going through something like this is you were very sensitive to the fact that oftentimes they don't say thank you <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, no gratitude at all.
1: <laughs> I did say thank you. <laughs> Many. Times. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm sure you have said thank you since then, but going through the process, that is the last thing on your mind, and it's the last thing to you know to one expect. Um, but but you know the, the preparation of all the different foods and now. I haven't oh, yeah. I have been a caretaker for my my ex husband who had cancer, and then my mother who had dementia. So I, I know what the process is of, of suddenly the taste buds don't work and, you know, they say they're hungry for something and you make it and they look at you and they go, ugh. And <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs>
2: Well, we did have that happen, I think, only once in exactly that same way that you're saying. He, just, he actually just said to me, I'm sorry, I just cannot eat this. But most of the time it was experimental, I must admit, With the hot, like, and I had also had a um, a previous caring role for my father over a number of years. Who, as he got older, not suffering from cancer particularly, but just um, moving into the older region of his life where he needed a bit more care and attention, and he got rather fussy about things and he got rather particular about things and he got a bit cranky and crabby. So I was kind of uh, already prepared in a way for what Barry was going to go through. (laughs) But, um, I mean, it, it's, it's confronting when you don't know what to expect it, of it, but also because he had actually lived in the same region as me before he went north, um, we did have a fairly strong familiarity. For instance, you know, his liking for hot curries, which I couldn't stand and I wouldn't make. Um, so there's no way I was going down that path. Um, but I did have a fairly reasonable idea of the types of food that um, would appeal to him. And things like um, going back to his home on the weekends – were a good opportunity for him to rest. Now, this is saying that um, this is through the period where he was going through his radiotherapy. He had the seven weeks of it, Mm -hmm. and we'd have Monday to Friday where he'd have the appointments, and then the weekend we'd travel the 200Ks back to his home. Now, I'd already traveled 800Ks from my home down south, so I was in his home in this lovely country area, fresh air, Um, beach not far away, restful environment, and he really made the most of that. So while he was might be meditating or just having quiet time, feet up, relaxing, I'd then hit the kitchen and I'd be making soups. I might be making casseroles. I'd be be pouring over recipes. Um, I'd be looking, say, at healing creams, whatever it was that was the order of the day. But, yeah, there was a lot of experimentation and, and probably the biggest thing that I recall from those days is looking at banana bread recipes. <laughs> I can't tell how many I've tried. Um, and they were a real mainstay because you can freeze them. Uh-huh. Once you've cooked them, they last a bit and I'd make sure the ingredients were as fresh as I could from that country area, which were great, you know, like organic um, and non-processed food as much as possible or ingredients as much as possible. Um, and then pack it all up. I'd either freeze some and take with me or we'd have it fresh along the way. So it it was a a huge effort on those weekends, but it also was quite a good mainstay when we went back to the the hospital environment to have something that was from the weekend that I knew that he would be okay with. And as I said, many, many, many different um, uh, varieties of banana bread. (laughs)
0: Well, you know, if ever you were going to republish the book, I would suggest that you put some recipes in it.
2: Oh, it's so funny you should say that because I did have one that eventually I thought was great, and it used sour cream. And when I got back to Sydney, I was rummaging through all the paperwork that I bought because we had loads because we had to do a lot of research on his uh condition, and I couldn't find it, and I still haven't found it.
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, not only that, but the different creams that you used. Um, that would probably be of great interest to anyone who is going through this, this kind of therapy or any kind where the skin is getting burned and stuff like that.
2: Oh, and, yes. Uh, the you whole know. question yeah, about the burnt skin is a really big issue. Oh, um, I'm not sure that the, the cream helped in particular, but it, I did use sour The one that was the most tastiest and the long-lasting and felt the most nutritious actually used sour cream.
0: Interesting.
1: You're not 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 on the skin. This was just a week, Barbara.
0: Yes, I got that. I got
2: it. <laughs> I was going to say the skin, the crispy skin, was a totally different environment, and you were mentioned that earlier, and that was very confronting.
0: D- did Did you not have trouble? I at one point, Barry, you said that you had asked to be rid of of impurities, and you broke out with dermatitis.
1: Yeah, this was at the end, Barbara, because. Uh, after seven weeks of radiotherapy, being blasted for 20 odd minutes um, on 35 different occasions, it, it does have a, a, an incredible impact on your skin. But because it was focused on my throat, then my throat got extremely sore and I couldn't have anything. The only food I could have had nice sauces and things in it. And there was always a dietician appointment that I had to go to at the beginning of each week. And when it started to get a little bit difficult to swallow, they said to me, oh, uh, well, do you like ice cream? I said, well, yeah, who doesn't like ice cream? I right. mean, uh, so they said, all right, well, have ice cream. I said, oh, really? You're giving me permission to have ice cream? So I said, yeah. So every day I would have, I don't know whether you guys over in the States have magnums or not, but um, uh, a magnum is a, a chocolate-coated ice cream on a stick. And the various flavors, just beautiful. Peppermint was my favorite. But anyway, I'd have one of these at least once a day, plus um, various milk drinks and things like that. So at the end of all this, I actually ended up with terrible eczema. (laughs) And I went along, funnily enough, it was on my birthday, which was only about seven or eight days, 10 days after my final treatment, which was, uh, which finished on the 27th of June. And my, Birthdays on the 7th of July. And Anne and I went up uh, to one of the beaches not far from where where I was living at the time uh, and just happened, once again, all these coincidences, uh, just happened to walk into this skin area. Uh, clinic. Well, clinic. Clinic, thank you. And um, the guy who was running it was his day off? He just happened to come in for 10 minutes while we were there. And he just happened to give me an instant inspection and said, Yes, you have got candida. Ah. Mm. Thanks very much. So, what do I do about that? So, I said, Right, off dairy, off gluten, yeah. off. Everything off sugar. Oh sugar. Sugar is one of the greatest feeds of cancer you've ever had. Anybody who's even remotely concerned about cancer, get rid of the sugar out of your life. That's yeah. the first thing to do. Do it anyway. Because everything is so absolutely saturated with sugar. Go into the supermarket and see how much sugar is in everything. Um you just have a little look at the, the labels on them, the stuff you buy in supermarkets. Oh, it's frightening. Jams and cereals and things like that. Sixty, seventy, eighty oh, percent sugar. Yeah. So all of this had built up into my system. So as soon as then, I realized that I'd had candida and bang, oh, so goodbye to the lovely peppermint ice creams and goodbye to the lovely milk drinks and, and all the other stuff that I was having. But it worked. So this is the sort of thing that can happen once you've been in this situation. It it just doesn't finish with the treatments. You've gone Perhaps ongoing ramifications that you've got to deal with, and it's all part of the whole scene. So you've got to be prepared for whatever crops up on the journey.
0: Oh yeah, but and and the thing is too that while you're going through all of this, you are your life is changing. Once you're through it, you can't well, one go of the back. Things that,
2: sorry, Barbara. One of the things that um, I'm just remembering now is Barry's saying that because it was around his birthday. His daughter and grand, sorry, daughter-in-law and granddaughters came and they came, brought all to visit and they brought all the ingredients to make him a very sweet, very yummy birthday cake. And because he had just seen this expert about his candida, he went cold turkey and he just said, no, sorry, can't eat it, can't have any birthday cake. Now, they were really disappointed. They were made a big effort. They'd driven two hours, wanted to spend some nice time with him, give him a nice treat, which normally would have been great.
1: Yeah, I would have had about three helpings. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so, and that was one of the things that made it very, um, very tricky at the time too because you couldn't really accept hospitality from people who you know, go, would go out of their way and say, well, come and have dinner with us. Um, and it was embarrassing because he didn't want to be able to – Or have to turn around and say, sorry, I can't eat that, even though they make a a big effort. So we did rather kind of go off the social scene there for a while. And um, I don't think you've had an offer for cake since then, have you? (laughs)
1: It took ages for my daughter in law to speak to me again. (laughs) Oh,
0: that's a shit. Well, I have to be gluten free and and lactose free as well. And it, it is a challenge to sit down to a meal and look at everything and say, well, <clears throat> I can eat some of this. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. But, you, Barbara, after a while now, I mean, it's – I don't know about what it's like in your area, but here and – I've moved back to Sydney now. I, I had my sabbatical uh, in the country, so I came back down to live in Sydney, and Anne and I are living within a couple of minutes of each other again. And – um the whole thing, I forgot what I was going to say then. I was going to say, this. I got <laughs> totally out of my mind. very Oh, Thank yeah. you, yes. See, I need Anne to remind me what I was thinking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. She could tune into me. She's very psychic. Um, so, where we are, it's quite easy to pick up. Gluten-free bread, for instance, to make your sandwiches or your toast or whatever, and okay. and good organic, good quality, fresh food. But there's so much gluten-free product available here in Sydney now, and I, I guess it, it must be the same okay. uh, in your neck of the woods, that if you do this and you decide that you want to go gluten-free, lactose-free, and I mean, I have this wonderful, beautiful thing called cocoa quench, which is like coconut milk, but it's not, it's not. There's no sort of fat in it. I mean, it's beautiful. So I have that on my muesli, and it just tastes coconutty, anything coconut I love. So there's all of these things. Once you start to look for them, they're there. So you don't have to feel as if you're being punished for being gluten-free, lactose-free, and, uh, and uh, sugar elimination diet. Oh, you still yeah. have a great time.
0: Oh, you absolutely can, but it is a commitment to change your life, and I think that's that's the one thing that, that so many people who go through something like this and come out of it with a, a clean bill of health finally, they go right back to their old ways, and it, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's like inviting it to come back.
1: Well, this is exactly it. And it always reminds me of the fact that years ago, uh, before I went to see, before Anne and I both went to see John of God uh, in New Zealand in 2006, this guy came along to one of our uh, meetings one night, the meditation group meetings, and he was telling us the story about John of God. And it turned out that once you've been and had a, a healing or an operation at John of God, you've got to give certain things up for a little while. You can't just sort of say, oh, that's it. I'll just go back and do all those things I was doing before because that was your lifestyle. Yeah. So, unfortunately, this guy disobeyed one of the prime directives, shall we say. I'm not going to go into details here, but it was a prime directive and it was a major one. And he, even though he'd had a, a, a good amount of time to be able to live his life again, he went back for a second operation, ignored the prime directive and passed on in a few weeks' time. Oh. Who knows how long he might have stayed if he had have committed himself and been disciplined enough to stay on that? You've got to admit, you've got to accept that it's change. You can't go back to the same old thing. It's like saying to an alcoholic, "Okay, well, you've been to 400 AA meetings. Now you can go back and use a bottle of whiskey." You know, you just can't do it. No, you
0: can't. And and you know, I think it's it's so important. I I call your experience and ends, um a two by four. You know, it's, it's spirit saying, wake up. You, you have something to do and you've been piddling around, being comfortable with your own, you know, your own stuff. And it's time, y- y- there, there's something more important for you to do here. And I'm sure it wasn't just this book, but, but it, it's kind of like you really have to turn around and say, okay, my life has to change. My diet has to change. And where does spirit want me to go next? And, you know, you you appear to have a hard head, so spirit hits you hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. With that bit of 4 too you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the whole thing. Uh, if everything was going swimmingly in your life, there would not need to be the kind of lesson that you get from a major illness or some incredible event, whether it's a breakup of a relationship, or or anything at all, any major thing in your life, they happen for a reason. And you cannot just ignore this and think, okay, well, I'll get through this, and I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing. It's like the definition of insanity, and you know, keep on doing the same thing, expecting a different result.
0: Yeah, exactly. And what what I find is, when people have gone through this kind of experience, kind of like a near-death experience as well, lives change they change dramatically um, people who survive cancer have been given you know a second chance at life and the ones that that, that begin to involve themselves in even more of a spiritual pathway not that you're gonna put a white robe on and go to the mountaintop and wait for the mothership but <laughs>
1: No, I'm sorry I don't have a white robe
0: No, yeah. <laughs> but I know people that do um <laughs> but but you know you you have a greater spiritual awareness in your life, and that enhances everything and and for Anne as well, she went through the whole process too, and it had to have and it had to have shifted you spiritually as well
2: yes it look it's very interesting um. I might actually get Barry to read a very small little part of what I wrote. It was actually from my uncle, who is a reverend in the church, who's long since gone. Um, But in all of this, let Barry just read it and see what we've got to say about it. Okay. Just there.
1: It touches on my own conviction that divine wisdom can speak in a penetrating call to all human beings in one way or another offering an assurance that life is not just like a leaf flown here and there by the wind, but it is a challenge, expecting an honest response.
2: So my um, inspiration for, shall we say, the spiritual journey or the spiritual process was very enhanced by... That quote from him. He made a presentation. He used to live in the and practice in the UK, um, and I only met him a small number of times. But I have that is my background. A minister of the church, and my grandfather was also a minister of the church. Um, my dad used to take me to church when I was young. So my journey has been transformed from just an ordinary. Um, visiting church and doing (laughs) some service to the doctrines to then looking above it in line of what my uncle wrote. And the spiritual journey was something that he would talk about from the point of view that he'd try and find a spiritual meaning or a higher meaning or a philosophical meaning in our journey. But always that whatever we're experiencing – Needs to be an honest response. And I think at any time, especially through this journey with Barry and all of the changes I had to make at that time, I realised I had to look at my motivation. I had to look at my responsibilities, particularly to my family, as well as my inclination to do what I could for him. And I, one of the biggest things was that I had to realise it was his journey. This cancer was his journey. As much as I would love to have taken the pain and the disease away from him, I couldn't actually physically do that. I could be there to support him through it. I could give him my love. I could give him my energy. Um, I could attend on him and do cooking, cleaning, wash his clothes even, iron his shirts even, if need be. Mind you, he does prefer to do his own ironing. But um, <laughs> It's like I was prepared to do that, but I needed to do it with good grace and not really expecting to have thanks, which I didn't initially get, but to feel for my own um, sense and purpose that I was doing it for the right reasons. And there were times when I just needed to get out of, I'll say, his toxic energy because at times he did get very upset with things. He did get angry with things. Um, And it wasn't easy. So my own journey was then step back. No, it was his circumstance that he had to deal with. I had to deal with mine, with the best intentions that I could to help him, but still knowing I had to have something there for me as well. And if I found myself getting too dragged down in his um, anxious, tense, stress circumstances, then I wasn't going to be much help to him at all. So I needed to then to do what I needed. And I found that my journey then was like what my uncle mentioned about getting out there making the changes I'm not going to be just swept along I'm going to walk a determined path one with some objective some with a meaning and significance but with a higher perspective on that and the higher perspective came to me as if walking under the trees and hearing the wind in the trees and feeling that I could be in touch with a higher force Um, I don't do meditation the same way that Barry does And for me, getting out in nature was fantastic. I'd walk under the trees. I'd have the sand under my feet if we were at the beach. Um, I'd sit on the grass. I'd sit on a rock. And I'd just be aware of the greater nature influence. And in fact, one of my inspirations when I needed to have a real energy boost was from the seekers, I don't know if you actually know the group, the Seekers, or their main female singer, Judith Durham. I
0: do. They were,
2: oh, great. Well, they were, born, they were very active in the late 60s. And there's a, a, a song in particular that used to inspire me and still does. It's called Speak to the Sky. And the first part of that is speak to the sky whenever things go wrong and you know you're not talking to the air and the world will look better from up there. Ah. Speak to the sky, because things can get you down. And you know when you're talking to the Lord, the world will look better than before. Along those lines, I mean, you can Google it, and it's a beautiful, beautiful song, especially the way that she sings it. And I find something like that very inspirational. Oh,
0: gosh. And there's,
2: yeah. Yeah, and she has another song that's called You're My Spirit. So I used
0: again, to, I used to start my radio show with "I'm seeking the seekers."
2: Oh, and, brilliant!
0: <laughs> and um, it, it's somebody sent me one of the, a CD of, of the seekers, and I, I thought, <clears throat> well, I guess I have to change my intro now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the seekers will come if you seek them.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was kind of like I'm, I'm not really here to entertain you. I'm here to give you options and probabilities and suggestions and insight if I can. And, and to, to explain to you how I've loused up and, and, you know, you can, you can find your own mistakes. Don't repeat mine. They've already been done. Um, (laughs) But, but it, it is, it is something that, that I think everybody should hear and understand. Everyone has their own method of meditation. There is, there is not any one only way of meditating everyone finds their own their own way to find peace and solitude and and to allow themselves to, to get inside themselves and and attach themselves or acquaint themselves with the spirit that, that travels within and and i think it's important that you know you found it on the beach and barry finds it in in other ways and and i garden um it's 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 i do i do Things that are monotonous so that my spirit can soar. And it, 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 it's this, it, everybody will find their own way. And to try to replicate someone else's method is to try to go on their pathway. And you have to find your own. We have to, this is a time where we have to forge our own pathway. Now, we're all going to end up in the same place. But
1: we yeah, have, that's true.
0: We have our own way of getting there.
1: Yeah. Well, I I must admit, um, I like to get out in nature as well, same as Anne. When I was living up north, up the end of my street was this beautiful, big hillside graveyard. Now, it sounds a bit maudlin maybe, but at the end of writing my second book, which I wrote while I was up there called No Goodbyes, um, the second life, afterlife um, book that I wrote, I used to, at the end of a day's writing, go up, walk through the graveyard and sit at the top of the hill looking out over this beautiful, beautiful domain of, yeah, graveyards, grave, gravestones, all sorts, but it was so peaceful. It was so lovely. Yeah. And that was another kind of meditation. So there, as you say, there are so many ways of meditating.
0: As, as many grains of sand are on the beach, as many people's spirits that are on the planet, that's how many different kinds there are. And and it's it's people should be comfortable when they find their their form that works for them to stick to it. I mean, yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with trying other people's out. But um, when you find something that works for you, that's 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 a good a good direction to go in because it gets you it puts you in contact with that spirit that you're carrying inside of you. And that's 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 where you get your best advice. That's where you get your best wisdom. That's where you bet you get your direct contact to the source of all creation
1: well this is so true and as i said earlier on i think a lot of people equate meditation to sitting in a corner cross-legged in some sort of yogi pose going um now yeah that's a way of doing it and i've done that as well but it doesn't necessarily work for me and i'm sure it won't work for a lot of people so as you say find your own way of finding that inner peace and inner stillness because of the mad stress of life at the moment, it doesn't matter whether you're going through cancer therapy or whether you're just going through the normal vicissitudes of life, Uh, finding that quiet place within is is just so important.
2: But that's where the answers come from, I believe. You know, if you're walking along the bit, well, for me, I find a walking meditation works really well if I've got something that I'm needing to process Uh or Mm -hmm. if I have an issue. So it's like I keep it there and let everything go, but it's in my heart. And then suddenly there seems to be a breakthrough or a whisper or a vision, and there's an answer that is possible to follow through with. And it doesn't have to specially be an illuminating flash of light and thunderbolts in the sky. It's actually an inner knowing for me when it happens. It's just like I then feel confident, I feel relaxed, and I feel as if I can step forward in my inner truth. And that's the bit where, as we were going through this whole journey with the cancer there were times when we had so much information that we needed to process, what we were reading on the internet, what we had in books, magazines, what people were telling us. We had so much information, and at times we could just get totally bogged down, and Barry would usually go and have his quiet time and do his meditation, and I might go for a walk somewhere, and then just in that quiet stillness, there comes an aha moment, and ah, like, oh, yes. And it's like, uh, I guess my example of uh, from the book would be along the lines of when he needed the gel treatment to deal with the, the crisp, burnt skin on his shoulders. I mean, it happened at a most inopportune time, and it really was a time of just deeply going inside, because we didn't have external resources on a long weekend to be in touch with, other than the computer and ourselves and nature, so we had to... Access that part of us. But the answer came, and as soon as we finished that long weekend and went back to the main city hospital, they did. They actually gave us the gel to deal with this. And I had had no idea that gel would be the answer, but it came to me. I can't see anything on the Internet, but I just feel that we have to do gel. And, of course, Monday comes, and we did gel.
0: <laughs> so, you know, th- there <clears throat> there was one other part in the book that, that I think – is, is crucial and imperative and so important. It should have been done in, in block letters. Um, you speak of a, a time when you were getting um, gel and people ke- kept coming into your little cubicle. And <laughs> you, you started to laugh, and the element of laughter has the yeah. strongest, most powerful healing energy I know of.
1: Yeah, look, that was a lovely – I still look back and have a big chuckle about that. What happens at at the end of each session, um, I would – by this time, my neck and shoulders were red raw, so I'd go into the little nurse's bay there, and they'd they'd put a dressing on, a special dressing, and they wrapped stuff around, and it was was quite incredible. But this particular day, uh, I'd had to go in to have my appointment before I could see the dietician, so the dietitian was waiting to see me. I went back to have my neck treated, and the nurse was training another nurse. So we had this little cubicle where they pulled a curtain around. So the nurse came in to show the other nurse how to put the dressing on. So here I am sitting down um, on the chair, on the bed or whatever, and there were two nurses. Anne was there as well. So the next thing, in, the dietitian puts her head through the curtain and says, Oh, um, can I see you? I said, Yeah, well, you want to come in? Yeah, I'll come in. So all of a sudden... The dietitian comes in, and then another nurse arrives, and all of a sudden, I just started to get the the absolute fit of laughter because it reminded me of that wonderful scene in the in the Marx Brothers movie where they were all in the um, the cabin on a cruise boat, and more and more and more people kept coming into this cabin, and it was just just an amazing scene. I've written about it in the book. So I started to laugh and then everybody started to laugh. And then the more we started to laugh, the more staff were coming and saying, what's everybody laughing about? (laughs) So in the end we that was great. It you? was absolutely hilarious. Fortunately, we didn't get some cranky supervisor or something coming and saying, stop laughing. No, you can't laugh. This is not hospital. <laughs> but they all loved it. and, and we'll. It, it's something that lives in the memory. That's why I had to put it in the book. Oh,
2: absolutely. And I had to take the photo too. I mean, because he really was quite a character with this whopping big white collar over his shoulders, almost like a Shakespearean collar. It was so funny.
1: <laughs> like a big ruffle,
2: <laughs> but it was all bandages and uh, collar to protect himself from any lumps and bumps and things that he might come in. I mean, it was very useful. In other words, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think you just you you did mention taking a picture, and the other thing I found phenomenal is your is your surprise visitor. I think you're uh-huh. I think I think you're crazy, but you want to share that. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> Well, Mary
1: Barry can start that one. Okay. What What happened was it was uh, this weekend where uh, we'd been looking forward to a lovely break. And it was a lovely Sunday morning and I went out. The, the property I had up there was about an acre and, and I had fruit trees and all sorts of things on. It was a lovely piece of the country. So I went out in the morning and was inside and I went out. And as I was coming up the back deck, which had two different sets of stairs to it, Uh, I was miles away, as you do when you're having this sort of treatment, and just as I went to put my hand out to open the top gate, I froze about two inches above a huge python snake God! who was just there. (laughs) Another two inches, and I would have gone, put my hand right around. So anyway, I froze and I took one step backwards and called Anne, Anne come out here quickly, bring your camera I knew she would have been really, really upset if she had a Mr. Great, she loves taking photographs, Anne does, takes thousands of them Um, (laughs) literally, and anyway so Anne came out saw what the, the big snake was there and dashed back inside for the camera, now the snake in the meantime had decided to go up the wall heading towards the roof where I knew it was living up there in the roof Anyway, Snake just, for some reason, just turned around, did a U-turn, and came back around. Now, the decking had this this railing around, which was probably about three or four inches wide, and wooden decking. And she just went around the outside of the deck and just lay there. We measured her afterwards, and I said three metres in the book, but it was more like three and a half metres, which is, what, about 12 feet, 12 or 13 feet long, it was. She it was a big girl. Anyway, she just sat there. We found out later uh, how to how to tell a female and a male snake. Um, the female ones have the forked tail, uh, for obvious um, reasons. And um, so then here she was sitting up there. Beautiful sunny day. It was middle winter, but beautiful sunny day. So Anne's there with the camera. Anne will take up the story from now. <laughs>
2: Well, when I first approached him, and I was absolutely amazed at the beautiful, beautiful markings, they were all geometric. And as this lovely snake, we're going to call her Persephone because initially <coughs> Barry called him, thinking it was a him, Percy the python. But it turned out since it was a girl that we had to call her Persephone. So Persephone there stretched out. It was a winter's day, but it was sunny. So obviously she'd come out, and we didn't know by that uh, at that point, by the way, that she was living in the roof. Oh, so, oh did you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't know that. Um, anyway, so I didn't know that she was living in the roof. And so here she was stretched out um, to her lovely full length, probably three and a half metres, and it was that um, one half of her was at right angles as, the, as she followed the fencing rail to the other half. So there she was at a 90-degree <laughs> angle, and I could take her from – all angles. It didn't matter where I was with this camera. And the most amazing thing was that it didn't matter where I was in relation to her. She kept eye contact with me. Now, she was absolutely a beautiful soul. Um, I have never been that close to a a snake before under any circumstances, not even at zoos or anything like that. I just absolutely adored this contact with her And it was as if she was speaking to me as if she was saying, you know, everything's going to be fine, you're safe, don't make any sudden movements. I was saying to Barry, just stay still, don't make any sudden movement. (laughs) And, of course, I was doing exactly um, that following my own advice. And when I um, shifted to take a different angle, it's like absolutely effortlessly she would turn her head and follow me, not the whole body, just the head, And at one point, I wanted to get up close to take these amazing markings. Mm. She was fine. It was beautiful. And I was there for absolutely ages with her. And eventually, it's like I think I've taken every single photograph I could from every single angle right up close to her, the whole bit, the tail, the way that it was forked at the end. And Barry's just trying to find the spot now, are you? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah, I found it this morning just before we started to talk, Barbara, but I can't find the exact reference point. But at that particular time, we realized that it was the Chinese year of the snake. Oh, yeah. And I I looked up, uh, a good friend of mine writes these wonderful books on animal dreaming and the idea of a snake. Well, we know that a snake sloughs its skin, so it's symbolising transformation, the shedding of the old, uh, the death of the old, for the birth of the new. And there is this wonderful um, section that I quoted Scott on. You've got it on page
2: 144.
1: Is it 144? Oh, okay, right. No, don't mind us, Barbara. We're just having a little um, check. chat. Chat away. <laughs> Chat away? Oh, okay. Oh,
2: that's my
1: that they there. Yeah, now. no, no, it was. But anyway, just quoting what uh, Scott wrote about Percy. I, I'll see if I can find it, but um, I thought I had it marked, but I don't. So, naughty Barry. But anyway, um, it was so appropriate to the fact that um, this snake had arrived in our life. I'd heard her up in the roof. I knew she was there, but. Um,
2: oh, yeah.
1: There we go. Yeah. The. The book is um, Animal Dreaming, The Symbolic and Spiritual Language of Australasian Animals by Scott Alexander King. And I was talking to Scott a couple of days ago and told him this story. He hadn't heard about it. He was absolutely delighted. He identifies the symbolism of snakes, quote, as transmutation. And he went on to say that just as a snake sheds its skin, it teaches us to discard all outgrown values and belief systems. Snake helps us to harness qualities that promised to transmute us to higher levels while simultaneously helping us to heal and rebirth. How about that?
0: And you had a big one. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah, three and a half meters. Twelve, thirteen feet, yes.
0: Holy mackerel.
1: <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of rebirthing that needed to be done there, Barbara.
0: I, I I'm not sure I would have taken it as that. I think I would have moved, but um, You know, I I think angleworms are just snakes in training, so you know, I'm I'm not a snake person.
1: (laughs) No, well I mean I wasn't either, but she was such a beautiful, beautiful creature. And she was so peaceful and soft and there was no sort of animosity or didn't, you got that wonderful, we were able to tune in. I'm sure she was tuning in to us as well. There was a friend of mine as an animal communicator and she taught me actually a few years ago how to communicate with animals and with snakes in particular. And I was able to get rid of a poisonous snake off my front driveway purely by communicating with it by thought. So these things can be done. You visualize what you want the the animal to do now, whether it's a snake to leave your your front driveway, or whether it's the dog to get off the lounge, um, <laughs> you don't visualise. You don't say get off the lounge because you're thinking of the lounge. So the dog's getting that mental picture. Oh, the lounge! Hi, oh, they like me on the lounge. Hey, wag the tail and I'll stay here. No, you've got to visualise off there on the floor. I want you on the floor <laughs> visualising the dog or the cat or yeah. the. No, Possum or whatever it is on the floor. So that's the very basic method of doing this, and it works.
0: Oh, it does. I mean, animals communicate in alpha theta, and and they don't they don't understand English, but they do understand pictures. And yeah. horse whispers, dog whispers, they all send the pictures, and and the animals pick them up. They get them very very rapidly. Um, cats aren't as willing to do what you request, dogs are much better. I have food.
2: One of the things is, too, because we started off that year as the beginning of the year of the snake, the Chinese year of the snake, neither of us had had that sort of close encounter before. And suddenly here we are with our own personal snake. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, apparently the, the way the Chinese look at it is it's an opportunity to find inner strength and to have the courage of our convictions, resulting in personal empowerment. And of course, the natives, the Americans, have a particular looking at uh, or interpretation that the snakes shed their skin as a symbol of new beginnings. Uh-huh. And I think you know you can also take that as a time of a of a sign for us at that point that we were about to make new beginnings. And it was such an auspicious journey, really.
0: Well, I think the thing that that is so wonderful about both of you is that you are very, very attuned to the synchronicities and the the little hints that spirit sends to you in your everyday life. You pick up on them and, and are able to interpret them appropriately as message from spirit and um, not everybody does that, and it, it's too bad because we all have those synchronicities. We all have those things that happen, and, and you say, oh, what a coincidence, but there's no such thing as coincidences. And oh,
2: I totally believe in that. I mean, I, I'm sorry. Did <laughs> I cut you off there? No, no go for it. Um, like that's one of the Like In my numerology, uh, I've got numbers that relate very, very strongly to synchronicity or coincidence, And in my earlier days, without it knowing a thing about um, numerology, I used to think about it as, oh, just a coincidence, just exactly what you said. And then after a while, as I've developed and understood a lot more in life and certainly matured, I found that the idea of synchronicity was very, very relevant. And one of the things I found too, just um, going back to what you were saying about being sensitive to our signs, if you like, and the synchronicity of that, not long after we um, had the visit from the snake, um, I saw a tawny frogmouth owl, owl, owl that was sitting on the pool gate. Mm. And it was so still, but somehow, and it was in the shadows, and I'm thinking, am I imagining it, or is it really an owl? It's just an owl's shape. Let me go have a look. So, of course, I went quite close to it, very quietly, tiptoeing, um, not really wanting to disturb it if it was. And as I got closer, of course, I saw that it was. And it was just this beautiful... Very serene owl that was just sitting on the gate. It was not going anywhere, it wasn't doing anything. And then when I looked up the what the wisdom of the owl um, was meant to convey, it was having a connection with wisdom and intuitive knowledge of seeing true reality beyond the illusion. And I thought that was a really nice message for me there. Barry had seen the <laughs> snow initially and called me in. But with the owl, it's like that was the message for me to be in my place of wisdom because a lot of my own stuff had been, am I strong enough? Can I cope? Can I deal with this? Am I doing the right thing? When you're confronted with all of this medical team and all these experts, and I'm a total novice in this whole department, so I had a lot of doubt. But then when I was able to access that inner wisdom, or hopefully what it was translated into inner wisdom. But anyway, the, the, the <coughs> inner knowing that we all have. And it's like I then felt more confident, even if I may or may not have made right or wrong um, outcomes. It didn't matter if I did it from the right place, and I don't think i transgressed too far, did I? No, no, not
1: at all.
0: <laughs> well, you both had um, a modality that, that you could fall back on, and you had your, your numbers, and Barry, you had your... Um
1: Runes, um, and yeah, yeah. Well, we, we both use the runes, but uh, yeah. Well, we actually Anne and I met 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago, at a mind, body, spirit festival where we were both working at that particular time. So we've got a, a very spiritual connection, and we found out that we do certainly have a a, a strong soul connection. And yeah, to have these things in common, and it is hard for some people where you, you hear so many people saying. Oh, if only my partner, my husband, my wife, or whatever, um, was a little bit more spiritual, but they now they've got absolutely no spirituality at all. Well, okay, that's just the different stage of the journey they're on. So if you're needing that, then there are plenty of other people that you can go and, and associate with or get comfort from, whether it's even from reading some wonderful books uh, or, or just join a, a group or whatever. So you don't have to sort of feel isolated in these areas.
0: That's true. And, you know, it's it's really amazing because we draw to ourselves people who are similar and and it, it, they don't necessarily have to be partners. If they do end up to be partners, that's great. But But there's always, when you have that need to have a spiritual connection, the person is always there. It's just allowing yourself to recognize it. Well,
2: one of my things too is that you probably noticed when you read out the bio that um, I'm, I've got quite a, a mainstream background. You know, banking for 15 years, uh-huh. but I'm not good at maths. For instance, um, numerology speaks far better to me via numbers than maths ever did. Um, but I've got that um, that administration uh, circumstance around me even now. That is a main, you know, a mainstream part of life, but it doesn't negate the other. So you've got well we all of us have these different options of the areas that we're drawn to and different um, departments of life if you like different types of people that can resonate to each of the different characteristics or even personality um, variances of each of us as individuals because we're not just one um i don't know one identifying aspect we're several in my opinion and especially because I can see that through the numerology and even a TV show recently said, oh, yes, I'm this and I'm that. And we're both looking at this and we're saying, yeah, we recognize, you know, we do have, well, some of us just have a duality that's really obvious, but many of us have, you know, many facets to who we are. Oh, absolutely. So, yes, I think we do draw that, yes.
0: And, you know, every, in my opinion, every past lifetime has created a new facet for us to radiate out to the universe with so that so that. You know, there 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 are so many different dimensions within us that we can utilize if we give if we give ourselves a chance to discover who we are. And this kind of experience drives you inside to discover who you really are. And and it is a gift, even though it's a painful one. It is a gift.
1: Yeah. And everybody's got a different kind of gift. Call it a gift, call it an ability, call it whatever, an interest sometimes. But we've all got that. But I, I always say to people, yeah, everybody's got a certain degree of psychic ability, intuitive ability, call it whatever you like. It's it's like anything else. You know, You can pick up a tennis racket and somehow get a ball over a net. Otherwise, you might be a little bit better. You might be a good club player or even go on to do it professionally. But everybody's got that certain ability. We've all got that but we've just got to tap into those abilities and expand them if that happens to be the direction that we feel that we want to take by listening by listening to our heart by listening to our soul and the soul connects at the heart so when you tune into your heart you're also connecting into your soul absolutely so once once you can start doing that and you're finding your own purpose i always had of people ask me because i'd Anne and I both still do readings and consultations and whatever. And when, when somebody asks me about my purpose, I just get them to put their hands over their heart and then just go and have some quiet time and, and just think, what is my purpose? Open your mind, open your heart, and the the purpose will come to you. So it's just a matter of that, that connection. And we've all got those abilities. But we're all so busy and stress-related in our lives and sticking our heads into so-called smartphones and things all the time. <laughs> I did an interview with wonderful Dr. Norm Shearley a couple of weeks ago. and Norm doesn't – he hates them. He says, they're not smartphones. I call them dumb phones.
0: <laughs> well, that's uh, true. They do come in handy every now and then.
1: Oh, they do. They they're, do. They're right. great
0: alarm clocks.
1: <laughs> that's very okay. true. That's, but it uh, seems funny that you and him want to get a phone to either set the alarm or make phone calls these days. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well – <clears throat> you don't have a choice anymore. They don't have dumb phones anymore.
1: According to Norm Shirley, they do. You know Norm Shirley, do you? Norm used to work with Carolyn Mace for many years.
0: Yes,
1: yes. She, he was the doctor that uh, Carolyn uh, as a medical intuitive used to to go straight to Norm. So he's an amazing man. I love him.
0: Well yeah, it is nice. there's there's such a vast variety of, of people out there these days and you know, more and more they are becoming a part of the general population and no longer isolated. And, and thankfully, nobody gets burned at the stake anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, not physically, anyway.
0: No, <laughs> but some but, people
1: get burned emotionally at the stake.
0: <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. And and I have found that that with the a number, a vast number of people who are in the metaphysical field um, have have sort of. Um, Isolated themselves in, in a certain aspect of the metaphysical field instead of just, you know, alle- allowing themselves to become more of a cosmic communicator than anything yeah. else. And it's it's sad. It really is to see um, to see people saying, well, I'm just this or I'm just that. And you're everything. And, and you know,
1: to- this is very true. I've been asked, and Anne and I are going to uh, an event early in the new year called the Cosmic Consciousness Conference, which I've been asked to MC. And uh, I think some of the speakers and the presenters that are going to be there talking about this whole area of consciousness and the cosmic aspect of it just shows how vast a subject this, this is. And I'm looking forward to hearing some amazing sort of presentations on this.
0: Oh, I, I imagine you will. There, there are so many people that are, they're doing amazing work. And you know, I, I keep going back to your, your, your crystal bed. Did did you say in the book that they they used Vogel crystals?
1: I think they are Vogel. Yes, they were. I looked that up again this morning. Uh, but they are they are crystals. They're made in South America. You can't sort of go into a shop and buy them. Uh yeah. You've got to actually get them from John of God's Casa in Brazil. And you've got to, you asked if you would like one. You don't just sort of go into the shop there as well and say, no, could I have a crystal bed, please?" Um, it's uh, certain people are allowed because they've reached that stage of, I guess, evolution or whatever, that um, that they're able to take these and help heal people. But there are crystal bed practitioners around, and if anybody wants to find one, I guess if you just um, start googling or looking online for them, crystal bed practitioners in your area. You'll, you'll find where they are. And some of them, people set them up in clinics like massage clinics and whatever, and they can be very, very useful. Even if you – you, oh, I was so fortunate because my team had lined it up so that I had open access. But even <coughs> if you only had one or two um, sessions on a crystal bed prior to having any kind of big medical treatment and then maybe afterwards as well, then that certainly would help tremendously. There's a guy called Howard Toos that I used to um, uh, know a lot, and he used to travel around uh, with the uh, the crystal beds around the state of New South Wales here. And Howard is also a, a guide at the um, John of Godcassa in Brazil. And um, he always maintains that even if you have to undergo chemotherapy, you will get some kind of relief by having crystal bed treatments. So you're aligning your energies, and that's what it's all about. Not only on the crystal bed, but I was able to align my energies with other healers and wonderful people that came into my uh, into my life at that stage. I've, I've written about it in pretty big detail in the book, which you know, we obviously won't go into here, but it's it's in my case, it was more than one. I was given the full run of a tremendous amount of help. But it was only because I was selected, but I believe... In a very old adage, you don't ask, you don't get. So if you want some help, put out for it. We've all got guides. We've all got people helping us on the other side. And we've also got friends and family and everything like that to ask, hey, can you help me in some way? To take the strain off the shoulders. We were only talking about that um, Uh, yesterday, weren't we? We had to go to a funeral of a friend's mother. And a lot of people just will not ask for help. They'll suffer in silence. And other people say, well, hang on, why didn't you ask for help? But you can ask for help from people on our earth plane and you can ask for spiritual help as well. I don't necessarily mean religious. I'm talking about spirit guides, spirit helpers, oh, angelic yeah. help, all of this whole area. As you well know, Barbara, uh, help is available. and But you've got to ask.
0: Well, yeah, and be open to it. It's it's I think that's that's the biggest thing that you had going for you, to be perfectly honest, as far as I can see, <clears throat> aside from all of the help you had. But but you you were open to it. You were welcoming it. You were going to embrace it as it came your way. And you did. Uh, there there are people that, that, you know, don't believe and, and you, you kind of you kind of want to say, just try, just open yourself up to it. And, and, you know, allow the energy to come in from other sources as well. Uh, I know that there are, there are amazing, you know, healing groups out there. There are amazing uh, Reiki practitioners who send distant healing, which is fabulous. Um, there's so many different ways that you can help to build yourself up on a spiritual level to allow for healing to take place. And... <clears throat> <clears throat> and, and it isn't just a doctor going to come in and cut something out and say, okay, you're good to go. The healing process is, is not just physical in that case. It has to be of a spiritual, of a deeper level. And if you allow that healing to take place, it, it, it snowballs out to heal the physical as well.
1: Well, this is it. It's not like taking your car to the mechanic because you've got a, um, a faulty note in the engine or something, and you take it in there, they fix it up, you drive away, everything's all hunky-dory. No, it's not like that at all. First of all, you have to accept the responsibility that it's you, at least with a car. You know it's the car's fault. So, <laughs> But right. we are not cars. Okay, we're, we're a spiritual energy inhabiting or attached to a human body to have a human experience. But it's a lot more than just a car. It's not just a vehicle. And we have to take that responsibility. It gets back to what I was saying very much earlier, that taking some form of responsibility, not only for your creation or co-creation, but also in the treatment process itself and not just saying, doctor, doctor, heal me, heal me.
2: Oh, yeah. And that's just One small thing here I'm just reminded of is um, an elderly lady friend of mine many years ago she asked if I would take her to a healing group. I said, "Yes, yeah, sure. She didn't at that stage know that she had cancer. She just wanted to go to the healing group because she used to do a healing group when she was very young with her grandfather, and he used to take her to a spiritualist church. So she asked me, and I said, yeah, I'll take you. Um, so I got in touch with these people, and we took her. Now, she hadn't been there very long where she went to an area of um, a presentation by a medium and the medium called for questions from the audience and everybody had put these questions in a bucket and this medium pulled out my friend's question. So I was facing her as she walked towards us and she looked at my friend and she said, you've got a question about your granddaughter. And she looked at me and I thought, this lady knows there's something the matter here. Mm -hmm. Her kindness, her absolutely beautiful energy, her healing energy around my friend. And she reassured her that her granddaughter was going to be fine. Now, my friend didn't know she had cancer then. But even then, she was worried about her granddaughter. A little while later, we were back at the healing group that she would visit every week, and she talked to me along the way, an hour trip there and an hour trip back. And I would talk to the lady who ran this group in between, and she said it's not about physically healing the cancer, which by then she had been diagnosed with. She said it was about healing her doubts, um, her worries, her concerns, her regrets. It was actually clearing the path for her to pass over, with a clear conscience. She didn't want to have any unfinished business. And by the time it came to the end, and it was six months later, she went peacefully. She went feeling absolved of any further worries, concerned. And it was a healing of a different kind. It wasn't a physical one. It was as if she had the spiritual cleansing. And it was at the very end, she just had this very calm demeanor about her. It really was very effective in terms of Healing in a different way.
0: It can take you to a place where you embrace a new beginning. And that's what death is. It's not the end, it's just a new beginning.
2: Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I think it's more of a continuation of the life cycles that we may have over who knows. We can't put time on it because that's third dimensional description, but it's a continuing life cycle, is what I've been told from my spiritual context. And um, this is only just one life of many. So we just move on to a different aspect of our life cycle.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it's it's. I, I think that, that people have been frightened. So by 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 what traditional religion talks about as death, that, that they, they mm. don't understand that <clears throat> that that's just their thing it does it it doesn't have to be theirs it's somebody else's that that if if what you believe is what happens we we create our realities by our perception of it and if our perception of passing is going on you know and, and and moving forward then we 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 go easier and more gently into the night and and it isn't night it's light and it's it's you know, I'm not I'm not recommending death to anyone, but I am saying that it's nothing to be frightened of.
1: No, well, that's exactly why um, seven or eight years ago I was given lots of um, pushing from the other side, shall we say, to write the first of my books called Afterlife to help remove this fear of death and to be able to show people that it is just a continuation of a journey, a journey, and that we are not just going to sort of turn a switch off at the end of this particular lifetime and disappear into the blackness. There's a very well-known person out here uh, in Australia, a media baron, if you like, and he had a near-death experience, came back and said, I've been there, there's nothing on the other side, it's all blackness, there's nothing. (laughs) So a few years later, he passed. Now, I just heard, funnily enough, about, oh, Less than a week ago from somebody who had got some messages from spirit and said that he is now over there and has a totally different perspective (laughs) because he's found out that it is not blackness, that it is not just the end, that it is just part of a huge cycle. And we keep on coming back and back and back until we've had enough. We don't need to keep coming back and back and back because we've done everything, we've learned our mistakes, we've balanced our karma, and then we can move on to the next phase, whatever that may be.
0: I think that's one of the coolest things about being a medium, that you can give people assurance that, that you know, their loved ones are, are moving forward, that they are all right, that they are just fine. And, yeah. and I think that's, that's the part of doing this work that um, gives me the greatest joy. To be able to see somebody's face um, light up like you you couldn't possibly have known that um, mm-hmm. i i at uh, I served for five years in the in the pulpit of a spiritualist church and um, at the end of this service we we did spirit communication and there was a lady in the front pew once and she sat there and, and I, I came to her and I said, I, I do believe I have your husband here. And she folded her arms in front of her and said, really? And I, I kept giving her identification cues and things like that. And she said, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. And and I said, he had a fond way of, of letting you know that he cared for you every time he passed you. And she said, yes, what was it? And I looked at her and I said, you really want me to say this? And she said, yeah, say it. I said, he pinched you in the rear every time he went by, and he said, I love you. And she said, you have my husband.
1: <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Don't you love it?
0: Uh, not not really, because he was pinching me in the rear, and it was like, <laughs> just just tell her this. Just tell her this. And it was like, oh, no, in front of the whole church, you've got to be crazy. And... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah. but it, it, it you know, when people really know that you you have the energy of a loved one there and that they are there to give them love, to give them reminders of something to to say, I'm OK and you're going to be OK or whatever the message is, is such a gift from spirit. It's just it's, yeah. it's, it's an amazing experience. And it's it's one of the, the parts of this work that, that I love more than than any of the other parts.
1: Well, that's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, there wouldn't be this connection. We wouldn't be getting messages from the other side unless it was deemed to be the best thing for everybody concerned. There there would not be the ability to communicate if it was wrong, like some religions turn around and say you're communicating with the devil and all this other rubbish. (laughs) They wouldn't be allowed to do that wouldn't no, be allowed to do that. No. It's the I, same thing as – I, I was looking at a, a quote that I had, a spiritual download, uh, that I'm working on at the present stage. And there was one quote that I got from the other side from Source actually saying that um, there is no such thing as the devil. There's no such thing as that. If there were – I could wipe it out with a passing thought. So just <laughs> take that into consideration.
0: I, th- I think one of the things that, that people have trouble realizing is that <clears> – <throat> we're all one family we're all one i mean it yeah. is one and and nobody's above anybody else and we were all created in love and and when we cross over we cross we cross over into love and i i had um one woman who crossed over and and her family was you know can you can you you know tell us what's the first thing she did and and The first thing that she did was she saw somebody and she her first reaction was, you shouldn't be here or if I'm with you, I'm in the wrong place. And, you know, it was kind of she was so determined that this person was supposed to go to hell and and they didn't. They were there where she was. It took her a while to understand that that our spirit is pure in love and that's it. Our personalities may need work, but but our personalities don't totally go over with us. It's, it's... I
1: love that how dare you why aren't you in hell yes. I...
0: <laughs> you're not supposed to be here or that's I'm right. in the wrong place
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear
0: no it is it is such a joy to be able to do things like that I want to get back just for a couple minutes um to the synchronicities to the coincidences that happen because I think that's something very very important for everyone whether they are sick or well, or whatever, because we get these synchronicities thrown at us constantly by the by the spirit within us it's It's the spirit's way of giving us insight information and a nudge every now and then in the right direction. And when people don't take note of them, when people don't write them down it's it's almost like they didn't get the message, and the more you acknowledge the synchronicities and the messages that come to you. The greater they they become, the, the more impressive they become until you you get actual really messages as opposed to just these little signals. And both of you pay attention to those so beautifully.
1: Yeah, well Anne taught me a lot when we first got together because we were in the, the running the group together, and she taught me about Signs. Now, I've known a little bit about signs because we all get signs of some description. I, I got used to get mine, having worked in radio and television, I'd get a song or something like that. Uh-huh. But Anne has some wonderful ability to come through with signs, don't you? Go on, tell Barbara about the signs that you get. I love this.
2: Oh, okay. are we talking about another thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I started my understanding of synchronicity with Mercedes cars, yeah, and I was driving along, and I'd suddenly find a Mercedes car in front of me, and then I'd look to the next, to the side, and I'd find one next to me, and then I'd look behind and I'd find one. I'm actually visualizing where I was on this particular occasion as we speak. I was at a traffic light, and then lo and behold, I had one behind me as well. Now, Mercedes cars, you know, you know, they're not a dime a dozen. You don't see them everywhere. So I'm thinking, oh, this is a coincidence. (laughs) And I started to see Mercedes cars everywhere, um, in front of me, behind me, wherever. So, And then I'm visiting up in um, uh, Brisbane, which is actually where Barry had his treatment, which is the capital city, um, what, roughly 800, 900 k's north. And I was there with my daughters for a sporting event. And I went into this particular shop three times. I thought, why am I brought back here? Why am I doing this? What's going on here? Anyway, literally, and I know you've probably heard it a dozen times by now, if not more, the book fell on the floor in front of me. Uh And it was all about coincidences. Mm -hmm. So I started to read about coincidences. And, of course, the more I read and the more I understood, um, the more I started to get the message. So I didn't need to have three Mercedes cars next to me after I started to learn a bit, and I started to get the idea that, all right, um, I can do it in twos now. If I get one and then another one, there's the message. But also because I'd started doing numerology a bit more seriously, um, I realized that the number plates used to talk to me. So I did, I'd... i um, and I've been doing it for over 20 years now, and I have a very good teacher. He's got a PhD in the scientific world. Um, and so we do serious studies and we do uh, research into, say, high-profile high profile politicians, of whom you have one that's of very much interest to us at the moment, who shall remain lameless. Um <laughs> And we would look at things like um, the elections coming up, et cetera, et cetera. So I've been studying it for ser- seriously for quite a long time. Anyway, so especially when we were doing the meditation group with, um, with Barry, one or two people would start asking, oh, I had a coincidence. I was- keep seeing this number everywhere. So Barry would say, Anne, what does that mean? So Anne would do a little bit of an interpretation and it turns out that it did seem to have some significance for other people, what I was seeing in the numbers. And it isn't just like 11.11, of which there is a really good book, a very interesting book about someone who did a, an experiment of, I think, about 12 months of living by coincidence in numbers only, and the book title, I think, is called 11.11. Anyway, so the whole of this thing about number plates, I mean, we were even out yesterday and Barry looked at this number plate and he said, oh, what does that mean? He has picked
1: up a few tips by now, I guess. But,
2: um, yeah, well, so it had still my doing
1: initials it. on it, you see, at the time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's right. So, um, and for me personally, when I first started, I get different types of messages from people who are passed over in my life and I get quite specific types of message from my mum And I get specific types of messages from my dad. And I get uh, specific types of messages that were as if from spirit. And it's like in those instances, it was just like addressing me directly. There would be a number plate that had my initials on it instead of my parents or anybody else's, like my uncles, for instance. And it would be definitely directed at me. And it's like some of them would take note and I'd get, say, I don't know, say three sevens or something like that. And it's like, oh, this is important. Or I get a, a group of numbers that might be, say, 979 or something of that nature, so I'd interpret that. But I do the numbers in um, in triplicate, like if I'm looking at an um, uh, interpretation, I'm not just doing, oh, it's a 4. I'd be looking as at a 1-3 that reduces to a 4 or even a 3-1 that reduces to a 4. Um, My own personal numerology is to do with transformation, renovation and renewal. So it almost doesn't matter which way around you're looking at it, you get the same thing from me. Um, I've got quite a few nines and I've got three master numbers. So I guess it's no wonder that I'm guided to do numerology and I have been told by a medium that apparently I was um, in a past life in one of the mystery schools. And in the early days of um, finding my way through life, um, I was quite interested in uh, Egyptology. But then we came a point, uh, Barry and I were looking at this map when we first knew each other. I think it was about 2002, maybe 2001. And he's saying, oh, let's go to Egypt. I'd love to go on a trip to Egypt. And I'm looking with a friend of his at this big map and – and one of the uh, one of the guys pointed to a town on this map. And I said, no, 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 you can't go there. There's going to be an explosion. And they both looked at me as if to say, you must be mad. But, of course, three weeks later, there was an explosion. So I kind of went off Egypt after that, and I still haven't been. <laughs> um, I'm still drawn to looking at place names. I'm still looking at um, timing. Timing, particularly, I really like, and I can. And Barry and I, interestingly enough, um, even though we're totally different birthdays, we're born seven years apart. Our personal day, when you get right down to it, even our personal day is the same. So we're kind of living the same. Even today, would you believe? <laughs> if you have chosen a day that resonates to a combined number in our numerology charts. Wow. So thank you for the invitation, and it's. Um, <laughs> It's about it's about karma, it's about, um, what do you call it, um, what goes around comes around, but it's also about um, a ro- a spiraling up to a higher level, and I think that's a lot of what you've um, presented to us today, is the opportunity to, to talk about things on a higher level. So, there you are, there's a little bit about my numerology background.
0: That's <laughs> very cool, very cool. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, my my birthday is three three four four. So you know, I I have I, I am into the numbers as well, but not to the depth that you are, um, totally. Um, oh, but it's it's really it's fascinating how just about everybody, given the chance, will find um, a modality or or a technique. Or a part of themselves that is drawn to something that will help them to make that shift, and and you know, of a spiritual nature. And and there is, we are surrounded by spirituality. It's it's just not, you know, obviously we don't always pay as much attention to it as we really should. And and the symbology of everything, I, I. was reading a lady once and I said, you know, there are antique buttons here and she said, I can't relate to that and I said, well, you know, look at them, check them out, look at flea markets. I said antique buttons are just so prominent here. I can't I can't go further than the antique buttons. That's all I'm getting. And 2 weeks later she called me. And she said, I've looked at every antique button in the world and they <laughs> they just don't resonate to me and I I sat there and I said, I saw antique buttons, and and I and and I t- took a breath and I said, "Is it possible that somebody from your past is pushing your buttons?" <laughs> and she said, "Oh my God, yes." <laughs> and you know, a good example of a symbol that was not interpreted correctly. Um, and so we were able to go forward from there because. That was exactly what was going on. But but we get these these signs from spirit Oh constantly.
1: yeah, they come they come from everywhere. Now in the meantime, Anne, being as quick as lightning, has already had a look at some of your numbers. I mean, would you like to get a little bit of feedback? Do we have your permission or
0: Oh sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's put it this way,
2: there's absolutely just from what you've said only, um, there's absolutely no coincidence about us talking here today. First of all, the date you've chosen is very resonant with both Barry and my combined numbers, but then when I've just used what you just said as 3344, four, I've just done a little numerology chart on that, um, and it picks up on numbers that both Barry and I have individually as part of our individual and independent journeys. So somehow or other you've got both of us here, both resonating to your numerology, And your numerology, the way it's talking to me, I've just got a little bit of a map here as part of the experience that, shall we say, you're meant to have in life or given the opportunity to have in life, is to be on the stage of life, to be in the spotlight of life, to be giving unconditionally, sharing, healing, sharing wisdom and universal guidance. Um, To me, that is what I'm getting from you today anyway, which is wonderful Then I've just looked at the the, the name that you're using on air here and that resonates very, very strongly to Barry's in particular in two instances um, and to mine to a lesser degree. So somehow or other, um, I'll say the coincidence of us talking (laughs) together at this time, at this date, in this place, all seems to be pulling together in a very rightful sort of way.
0: Well, it sounds like you've got me pegged. I mean, my, my website is uh, a teaching tool. It's, it's, yeah. it's just meant to put spiritual stuff out there for anybody who is drawn to it. So on stage in spotlight. <clears throat> I'd I like to say I have a face for radio. I would prefer, I love radio. I just adore radio.
2: Well, interesting. The part of Barry's chart that relates to radio is exactly the same number that you have in your name, and I'm just doing your name with uh, Barbara Delong, and that's the, just doing the numbers that relate to that name as exactly what Barry has as the pride of place in his roadmap of his chart. So it's not surprising that you two should get together anyway, um, because and he is a broadcaster. It's also about broadcasting. It's also about speaking out. Um, but it's also about speaking out independently, so it works quite ra- quite good with radio.
0: Yeah! Wow, that's oh there you go. Well, I'm impressed. I'm impressed tremendously. And, <laughs> and, and that said, we we have drawn to a close here. So I I want to um I want to thank you and close out, and then I'll stop the recording, and I want to talk to both of you just a, just a bit too. But I want to thank you for being on Nightlight. It's been it's been a pure joy. And thank you so much for writing this book. I truly believe it's going to um, help a lot of people in a lot of different ways. I will put it in the book section of my uh, website as well so people can find it there, and and it'll go directly to Amazon so they can pick up a copy of it. It's well worth a read. Um, The different perspectives help you to understand what people go through profoundly well. And and I want to thank both of you for, for giving me this time and working with me on the time difference because that has been <clears throat> a slight challenge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you might say that. Oh, we'd like to thank you for the opportunity of uh, connecting with you but also uh, speaking with all of your wonderful listeners mm-hmm. about our book, The Joy of Living.
0: <laughs> yes, it, it is it is a joy to read, actually. Um, so I'm going to thank thank my my audience and say goodnight to them, and uh, I will be talking to all of you soon, and then and then I want to talk to you too. Thank you so much for tonight. This was wonderful.
2: Uh, thank our you, pleasure. Lovely.